You are listening to Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, a monthly radio program that spotlights positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization throughout Philadelphia. I'm your host, Derek Kangamel. Jumpstart Philly is a unique community development program that trains, mentors, networks, and provides funding to aspiring real estate developers in seven different Philadelphia neighborhoods, including Germantown, where the program was founded. Jumpstart believes that you can do well by doing good and focuses on removing neighborhood blight, scattered site rehab, creating a healthy mix of affordable and market rate housing, and avoiding gentrification through slow, steady growth. Interviews are conducted during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. via Zoom webinar. For more information about these events, check out the events page at jumpstartgermantown.com. This week, my guest is RJ Griffin, a Jumpstart borrower and local contractor who is going to discuss multifamily conversion rehab projects. I hope you enjoy the conversation and be sure to check out the podcast version of this program at jumpstartgermantown.com slash media. Absolutely. First and foremost, thank you, Derek. Thank you, Angie. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited, a little bit nervous, but um, it really is a pleasure. Like Angie mentioned and Derek mentioned, I've been through the Jumpstart Germantown, now Jumpstart Philly loan program multiple times. It's a pleasure. I'm uh, I'm very much a disciple of the program. The vision that Angie has kind of deployed here in the city, along with Ken and other and Derek and others, aligns with my moral compass. Not just to be a developer who sees dollar signs, but one who wants to improve the community. So it, it's a pleasure to be here. As Derek mentioned, my name is R.J. Griffin. I'm a local contractor, real estate agent, uh, lead tester, pretty much. A through Z in real estate, I do. Um, happy to be here, and I, I really hope that the participants get get a, a little bit of knowledge. Um, so yeah, that's that's me, Derek. Awesome, awesome. Well, before we jump into the topic, I kind of want to build your credibility and hear a little bit about you know what you've done. Um, why don't you tell us some about some of the projects you completed, or um, you know like some successes you've had as investor? Um, I know you've definitely had experience with multifamily conversions, but I'm sure you didn't start there, right? So why don't you? Tell, tell us your uh, your course to get where you're at. Absolutely. So I'm going to take it all the way back to graduating college. I played Division One basketball. I had no idea, didn't know anything really about real estate. Never thought this would be the path that I would go down. Um, living in the city, I live here in Mount Airy, just interacting with certain folks. I learned about real estate. Somebody passed me, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, probably like everyone else has read. Uh, completely switched my financial mindset uh, to wanting to own assets. So I kind of dove in from there. And over the course of the last almost decade now, um, I've done everything from wholesaling houses to being a a transactional agent. I flipped properties. I've got single family rentals. And more recently, over the last three years, I began to transition to these small multifamily conversions. Um, Dan Harvey is really, really a pillar of that in the city. He champions it. So big shout out to him, one of my good friends, Khalid Green. He also kind of changed my mindset when it came to multifamily versus single family. So now I'm um, nearing 20 projects in. Can't believe it. I still feel surreal. Um, And, and, you know, I guess we're here to learn about small multifamily conversions. That's what I'm doing now and what I plan to do for the foreseeable future. 
Cool. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I recognize the name Dan Harvey because he was a very, very early jump in our guest, probably oh, awesome. two, two and a half, almost three years ago now during the, the, you know, the very beginning of the pandemic. So, and, and I'll have to get the name of the other individual um, you, you mentioned. Absolutely. We can have them as a speaker too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, and I just want to ask you a little bit more about your experience as a contractor, because I know you own a company, SimpliVest LLC, right? And, uh, and what do you do with them? You, you also help out with, with contracting on projects? Absolutely. So about five years ago, I started my own construction company, was having, you know, some issues with subcontractors and working with other general contractors. So I wanted a straightforward, no nonsense approach. Um, I incorporated Simply Best LLC. Today, we primarily work with investors and we do everything from demo framing to finished work. Um, And that has really kind of changed the, the way I perceive deals and perceive underwriting deals and whatnot, which I'm sure we'll get into more later. But um, yeah, absolutely. So we're a yeah. Supermets construction company. Awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it always makes coming up with a pro forma easier when you don't even, you don't even need to get contractor estimates. You can make them yourself, right? Absolutely. absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, let's, uh, so let's jump into the topic and uh, I'm going to start with like the most obvious question. Uh, you know, what is a multifamily uh, conversion or, or maybe even simpler, like what qualifies as a multifamily property? Like what, what are we talking about here? Absolutely. So in my opinion, again, by no means in my trying to sell myself as an expert, but in my experience, I would quantify a multifamily property as anything over two units, right? From duplexes to 200 units. Once you get over five units, you're now dealing with commercial properties where the financing and underwriting is a bit different. Um, I've dealt with the two to four unit, smaller multifamilies, which um, are an amazing asset here in the city um, and, and allow you to get the highest and best use out of rural homes and, and other, um, you know, types of buildings here in the city. Um, yeah. So anything over two units can be quantified as a multifamily property. Um, but like I said, once you get over that five plus units, your financing and the way you underwrite deals changes a bit. Yeah, totally. Um, and it also gets outside the scope of Jumpstart. So we're also, you know, familiar with that. But um, you, hopefully this kind of doing a bunch of these projects would lead you to that if that's your you know, aspirations, right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, I know a ton of folks who do, do the, who do dwell on the five plus unit space. But I know people who have, you know, 20 duplexes. Um, there's no right or wrong way to grow. There's no right or wrong way to mature in this business. Um, so me personally, I think this is a, a great niche. I plan to kind of stay and operate in the two to four unit. Cool. Um, yeah, around for the foreseeable future. They're easier to get financing for. Um, and in my opinion, they're a lot less of a headache. So Sure. Yeah. And then what are we talking about when we say conversion? So what are we converting the property from and to? Absolutely. So conversion as a name kind of alludes to is simply taking a single family property, um, single family room and converting it into a multifamily property. Um, there are a lot of ways you can do that. No right or wrong way. And I'm sure we'll get into that as well. Mm-hmm. But at its simplest form, uh, 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 a multifamily conversion is taking a single family unit, converting it into a multifamily and taking it from, you know, uh, its traditional use to what I would say is its highest and best use, especially in a city today where, you know, their affordable housing is is very much in crisis mode. We need more of it. Um, and these small multifamily conversions in these neighborhoods oftentimes provide that housing and, and that access to housing that 
otherwise may not may not make sense. You know, right. it's, it's kind of increasing like the density of what, what of housing is available. Right. Absolutely. And you see it a lot um, throughout the city where you have these massive row homes that most people do not want to live in anymore as it's an original traditional use uh, as a single family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would be hard pressed not to say that the highest and best use of those type of properties is to be a multifamily. It makes the most sense. It serves the greatest good. Of course, there are some issues with it, parking being the primary one that neighbors will complain about. Um, but yeah, so cool. multifamily conversion is taking a single family and making it into a multifamily. And we're, and we're not talking about, you know, knocking it down and putting up new construction duplexes or anything, right? This is using kind of the what you, the, the bones of what you got and, and making a kind of like a puzzle, right? You're, you're figuring out how to, yeah. yeah so. So, sorry, Derek. No, you go ahead. go ahead. No, you're spot on. Um, there are folks who will, you know, if 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 the building is too blighted, too dilapidated, we'll take it down. That's not what I specialize in. I want to repurpose, uh, uh, you know, uh, a building as it is. Um, so taking its footprint and just reworking the interior of it to get its high, get to its highest and best use. Cool. And uh, so what like what are some of the complexities and, and obviously we can get into this a little bit later when we're talking about the process itself but like some things off the bat what what makes it a little bit more of a headache like you're saying that a single family rehab like first thing that comes oh, to mind is, the first thing that comes to mind is from the street is is two mailboxes right you know it's absolutely. like you're, you're accompanying two different units there right absolutely so from the you know the simpler things like that to dealing with laundry com- common space once you get into three plus units here in the city you have to get a deal with suppression and alarm systems and, and, and that type of thing. Um, your scope of work is different. The team yeah. that you're going to use is going to be a bit different, a bit more diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is a bit different. Yeah. It's more than just, you know, drawing a line down the middle and saying, this is one home, this is another. It kind of, it's a, it's a full, full rehab with it all, all encompassing. Absolutely. And you don't want to take, you know, kind of that narrow approach is, oh, I'm just going to double my scope of work and we're good to go. Mm-hmm. That's not the proper way to do it. I've seen a lot of people kind of crash and burn taking that approach. Uh, mm-hmm. You got to kind of take a step back and, and take more of a holistic approach. So it's not as simple as just, you know, first floor, second floor, let's go. Cool. All right. So now let's talk about zoning because that's like usually the next thing that comes into the, the conversation when we're talking about, you know, increasing or decreasing the number of units. Uh, what are the, you know, standard zoning codes for, for single family versus multifamily property? Is there just one distinction between them or are there multiple classifications? No. So Philadelphia, like most large cities, has a fairly diverse and complex zoning, uh, I guess, policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a number of different zoning designations that allow you to build a, a, a multi or convert a single family into a multifamily by right, mm-hmm. right? Meaning that you don't have to go through the the city to in the neighborhood to get a variance or a, you know a special permit. So I try to deal with by right, um, which means I'm looking for zoning that's either RM1, um, CMX2. Those are going to be your two most common by far. Of course, you have RM2, RM3, RM4, CMX, you know, larger buildings, but CMX2, RM1, RTA1, and a few others. But those RM1 and CMX2 are going to be your main zoning designations that allow you to convert a building by right from a single family building to a multifamily. Right. 
And then just to further explain what you mean by buy right, that means the zoning, you know, that is on paper or on city's website, right, lines up with what your end use is, right? Like, so, exactly. so, and could you maybe explain to us like what end use means versus zoning? Because, you know, zoning is one thing, but uh -huh. how the properties, so, so what, what, like, do we see people using properties for, for the wrong zoning or, or what's the, the stipulations there? Oh, you do all the time, um, especially older older rental properties, a lot of times they're, you know, they may be illegal and that type of thing. Um, but we're, when we're talking about zoning, we're talking about the way the city's planning commission has kind of cut up the city into different designations. Mm -hmm. um, and again, that might not be a great explanation, but there's a ton of resources online, most notably the Philadelphia Zoning Guide, mm -hmm. um, the Quick Guide, and then they have the Full Guide. I typically will refer people to the Quick Guide, Go to page 42 of that. Mm -hmm. Resident, uh, I had it pulled up. It's the residential districts explanation. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you can read more about it there. I don't want to misspeak on that. But zoning is simply the way that the city's planners have designated neighborhoods and blocks as either commercial, residential, mm -hmm. or other. Um, and so, the one, yep. So I was just going to say, so what happens when your your proposed zoning, uh, or sorry, what the zoning on paper is different than your end use, and you you know want to get that changed? Is there a process for that? Um, Absolutely, and that process is a bit more technical. I tend to stick with the buy right processes, but my understanding is that oh, and Angie just put the quick zoning guide yep. in the chat for for everyone. Um, Sorry, I lost my train of thought. That's right. I was just talking about um, the process, you know, the, the zoning process. Oh, right, right, right. So, like I said, I stick to buy right. But if you did want to convert a property, let's say it's RSA 5 or RSA 3, which are two of the city's single family designations. And you, you know, the property makes sense as a multifamily in your head. Um, you got to go through a, a, a pretty laborious process. All the time you have to get a lawyer. You have to apply for your permits, get rejected, then go before the neighborhood, then go before the ZBA, which is the Zoning Board of Adjustment or Assessments. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a multi-step process where you have to go before the neighborhood and explain why this property should be a duplex or a triplex, how it's going to be beneficial to the neighborhood and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to go before the city. Um, so mm -hmm. it's it's a multi-step process that is very doable. I don't mm -hmm. want to, you know, discourage people, but it is a process. It yeah. will take time. And, um, you know, it can get a little tricky if you're trying to underwrite or use hard money for that process because you don't know if your end use will actually be approved. Right, right. And yeah, I'm glad to buy right. Yep. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that it is a multi-step process and kind of that it's something that you can't just get overnight or over the weekend or something. Right. Um, because unfortunately that's where a lot of loan applications for a multifamily conversion end, right? Is we, we were reviewing the loan. Oh, this looks great. Your, your plans are great. And your um, you know, there's comps in the area to support your sales price. And then we get to the zoning and it's not aligned. And then, and, you know, people kind of get stopped in their tracks. Right. Right. And one other thing about that, Derek, right. So, if you're looking at a property and let's say the seller says, oh, I have a variance for this property. Um, I have a three family variance, right? You got to be careful. Um, and again, don't quote me, do your own homework, but a variance will go away if a property remains vacant for X amount of time. Mm -hmm. So like if you go on Philadelphia Atlas, which I use every single day, multiple times a day, you can, you can navigate to the zoning portion of that website 
put an address in, go to zoning. You can see what is zoned. And then they also have a license and inspection section within Philadelphia Atlas, right? You can go there and see if there's an active uh, variance and an active rental license for however many units you're looking to convert the building to. Um, but you have to be careful. If the building has been unoccupied for, I don't want to say a, a number because I might be off. I think it's, I think it's three. Angie might be better. Yeah, I, I think so too. <laughs> I always ask Angie about that kind of stuff. <laughs> but I don't want to, yes, I think, it, yeah, I agree, three years. But um, if it has been vacant for that amount of time, that variance is, is null and void. So you got to be careful with that. Um, if it is active, still do your due diligence. Um, it makes it a lot easier to go through the, uh, variance process if in the past it was a multifamily. Um, mm-hmm. But just keep that in the back of your mind when you're kind of evaluating properties. Cool. Um, yeah. And, and another great resource you brought up there is Atlas. Um, you know, that's like something that's the first place we go when we get a loan application. You know, we look at the zoning, like you're saying, see what, who the owner is and, and the, the, all that great stuff. Um, okay. So we're talked about zoning and, and that long arduous process that um, you're, you're better off in a situation where you got zoning by right. Right. Um, so, so let's say, you know, someone comes across their, their project and it's, you know, they have the right zoning and they're ready. They, they get contractors out to start, um, you know, put the plans together and everything. What does the deal then look like on the other side? What value is their conversion bringing to um, the project? You know, like, like obviously you're getting two rents, right. As opposed to one or, or, or multiple, but um, from a, from sort of a larger like investment uh, standpoint, what, what is the advantage of having a multi-unit project um, that you're either renting out or that you're selling versus uh, a single family home or a flip as some people might call it? Yeah. A, a lot. Right. Um, and I'm going to probably give you a untraditional answer. Mm-hmm. So because I operate in this space within the city, I know that demand is through the roof for multifamily properties, right? Uh, every is like the thing as a realtor, I would say at least two thirds of my clients are looking for multifamily properties, both investor investors and retail. So demand is one thing right there. Um, it's high, extremely high because there's not enough multis in the city. Right. Um, and then in terms of your ARV, um, after repair value, which is what you project the property to be worth after you're done renovating it, much higher typically. Um, and that can be tricky as well because you can, oh, let me, yeah, let me touch on this real quick, then I'll go back. Yeah. Determining your ARV when it comes to a multifamily can be much harder than it is for a single family, right? Um assuming everyone knows what after repair value is now. Yeah. Yeah. So for a single family, you're going to look closely. There's going to be more sales in that, you know, half mile, quarter mile radius. So it's going to be easy to figure out what your property is going to easier to figure out what your property is going to appraise for on the back end. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you're dealing with a multifamily, chances are you're going to have a lot less comps because people tend to hold multifamilies and not sell them. Um, and when they do sell them, typically they're more dated. So you got to be, you know, and when you're dealing with two to four units, you're still doing a a comparable market uh, appraisal, right? So it's still based on comps. It's not based on the income you're bringing in typically. Um, So, yeah, so I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, I, I, it's good. It's good to hear that that they're in higher demand because you know, like when we're even looking for comps, like comparing, you know, somebody says three, it, like they might be a little older or a little farther away, uh, but that's because because they're more scarce, right? And that's because they're, the where they are selling is they're selling for higher and uh, and you know, sort of more consistently, right? 
Absolutely. So, so you're going to get more um, on your refinance or when you sell the property, typically. Um, and then just, you know, the basic economics of a multifamily property. If you don't receive rent from one unit or one unit becomes vacant, you're still getting that income from your other units. So it's never a zero, right? Mm-hmm. Which can kill you on a single family rental when your unit is vacant for 90 days. You know what I mean? That's three months rent right there mm-hmm. that you're then paying unless, you know, you don't have a note on it. Um, right. Yeah. And then I guess when we talk on the, the flip side, right, it's obviously bringing um, value to the developer in their rental income or their ARV or whatever. But for the community, like you're saying, there's a high demand for affordable housing and smaller units that can fit more people. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody, um, and especially in a neighborhood that's you know desperate for for more divided uh, space. Right? Absolutely. And quick story about that, right? Yeah, so sure. demand is high no matter what you buy in the city right now. Um, like if I look at my rental portfolio, it's single families are going to rent, multi is going to rent, but multifamily, when you're able to, and I try to keep mine really affordable. I just want a clean, affordable, safe uh, rental unit in my multis. Um, and if you're able to price that rental at a thousand or lower, which is extremely hard to find in the city for those more modern um, units, it's, you're going to have a, a literally like 800 inquiries on that property like it's a much safer rental in my opinion um because the demand is literal and you're just doing so much good by providing you know people who otherwise would still be living with others or 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 whatever um providing them with safe their own their own place to call home which to me means as much as as anything so yeah Cool. All right. That's a, that's a great answer. And uh, I, I want to also ask you, when does a multi-unit conversion or excuse me, a multi-family conversion not make sense? Like when would you look at a project and say, Oh no, that's better as a family home. Is there anything that like uh, jumps out of you that, that when you're looking at pr- properties? That's a great question. Yeah. And, Cause I, I evaluate these properties so frequently for people, a lot of things, right. Beginning with the lot area in the city of Philadelphia, I'm only speaking about the city of Philadelphia. It's probably different elsewhere. Yeah. Your ability to convert a single family to a multifamily is predicated on the size of the lot, mm-hmm. not the building, the lot, right? So let's say, again, this is just a random example. Let's say you have a house that's 2,000 square feet. You're like, oh, man, this is going to be a great triplex. Mm-hmm. But the lot is only, you know, 1,200 or mm-hmm. let's say the lot is whatever is 800 square feet. Immediately, you got to eliminate that from triplex consideration because you don't have the necessary square footage on that lot for it to even be a legal multifamily. Yeah, right? so you'd, you'd have to build too high, that, that, like higher than they'll allow you to, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then you get into just a different level of architecture and design that you probably don't want to do when you're adding Mm-hmm. You know, building mm-hmm. upwards. Um, so, is there is there a like a minimum or or required square footage of the lot or or like frontage yeah. length that you you'd recommend people to look for? So again, look at the link Angie put into the chat. But off the top of my head, it's three hundred and sixty square feet for the first fourteen forty, the first one thousand four hundred and forty square feet of lot space. So it's okay. a little technical, but if you yeah, if no, that's the zoning guide. It makes sense. Cool. Uh, then, which means that if you have a lot that's 1,440 square feet, you can build a fourplex. That's gotcha. basically what it means. And for once you get over that threshold, you, not, you then need 480 square feet. Gotcha. Right? 
And again, it's all within that zoning guide that cool. Angie provided, um, and it lays it out pretty, pretty clearly there. Okay, cool. So uh, moving on, the next thing I wanted to ask you about was the decision to like sell or hold a multi-unit family conversion. Um, you know, a lot of people you hear the word flip a lot, which is um, you know what I see as when somebody buys buys someplace, does a little bit of work to fix it up, not, a, not maybe like a cosmetic rehab, and then sells it for you know higher. Uh, but that like doesn't make much sense when you're putting in like so much effort into the the um, conversion of the property, right? So so let me uh, ask you like what? How do you dis- make that decision when you're you're looking at a multifamily conversion do you, to to sell or rent it? Absolutely. So it's very much a personal decision. Of course, um, for me, I'm very much in the camp of, like you said, if I'm going to spend six months building this and go through all the headaches as a developer, I'm going to keep it and I'm going to rent it because the return may not make as much sense uh, on the sell side. Mm-hmm. I will, you know, kind of parallel that with by saying that over the course of the last five years, you can sell anything uh, for the most part at top dollar. I think we're in a very transitional phase now where it's going to make more and more sense to hold until inflation's better under control. Um, but in my eyes, if I'm putting in the effort to source a deal and, and develop it, it probably makes more sense to, to hold on to it. Um, but you got to look at a number of things, right? What's your rental income going to be? Um, do you have a exit strategy if you hold it? Is your, are you in, are you underwater? Meaning, is your mortgage, your debt greater than the cat, the, the, the rental income? Um, then you really got to pay attention to your DSCR um, if you're going to hold it. Because that's the, if you're holding it within an LLC, which makes sense, you're, you're, you're on the refinance, they're going to look at your debt service coverage ratio, which, you know, is a lot of information online if you want to. If you want to, um, yeah, and if if people are familiar with our performa at all, or have looked at our loan application, that's one of our thresholds for a buy and hold project is make sure that your debt coverage ratio is above one point two five. So, and, and that's you know for our loan approval. But you're saying it might be a situation where where you're working with a different kind of threshold. To, you you know you might be able to sacrifice some of that if you've got other income and stuff, right? Exactly, exactly. But that's a great barometer. The the one and a quarter DSCR of that. Is in the jumpstart pro forma. I forgot about that. So yeah, spot on, spot on. Awesome. Um, so let's talk. Let, let's get into the nitty gritty here of, of the multifamily conversion and sort of like we mentioned a couple of them, like utilities and fire code. Um, well, well, why don't we start there with fire code? Um, one, one thing that I commonly hear brought into the conversation when we're talking multifamily conversions is uh, sprinkler system. And, and once it's above a certain number of units, you have to put this huge amount of money. I think Angie and I saw an application with a, a sprinkler system it was like thirty thousand dollars for this multifamily house. Um, so talk to me about what, what that, um, you know, means for you as an investor, like, um, like, do you just have to eat that cost? Is there, um, you know, like what I, I'm just a little unfamiliar with that. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So Derek, you're spot on. Um, and it was something I didn't necessarily account for early on. Um, <laughs> and when I, my plans came back from the city and I was told I needed a sprinkler system, I was thinking, oh, okay, 5k will be good. You know? We have a 15% contingency through Jumpstart. All right, everything's okay. Mm-hmm. But I was wrong. Um, so my understanding, again, do your own homework, is that anything over uh, three, fa- anything over two families, so anything over a duplex requires a suppression system, a, a sprinkler system, as well as new construction, of course. Um, and the other thing about that is if you're doing, if you're renovating 
a certain percent of a home, they may consider it new construction. So it could be a duplex and still be required to have a sprinkler system if your plan reviewer calls for it, right? Um, so when you're getting a, suppress a suppression system, I've found that they run, you know, around 20K, but you also have to fac factor in a new suppression line running from the city's uh, water main, right? Typically like a two-inch suppression line, which is going to be another like 5K or whatever it is. Um, so it's definitely, and then you need an alarm system as well that ties into that system. Um, so once you get over a duplex, you really, really got to be, um, uh, what's the right word? I guess cautious of, uh, and you really need to underwrite your deals to inc incorporate both that, that, that new two inch water line, as well as the alarm and suppression system. Yeah. Uh, and obviously the larger the property, the, you know. Yeah. And, and it seems like that, like there's more fixed costs with a multifamily property, like things that you just know you're going to need to put, like, you know, you're going to need to have a higher electrical service. Right. And you're going to need right. to have, um, like you said, more, uh, but the fire system and the alarm, those things are kind of just like standard fixed line items, as opposed to right. like a single family rehab where you're kind of choosing high end, low end finishes or right. um, whether you want to do the deck edition, that sort of thing. Exactly. And you know, a lot of times a single family home, they already have, a, a decent service for the most part. Like you said, you got to upgrade your service, new meter socket, Pico has to come out, send an underwriter out typically to, to evaluate that on top of, you know, the city permits and all that type of stuff. So it is, then you have to get a utility plan. Yeah. So that, that's my next question. How does, how do utilities work? Because, um, you know, sometimes you have tenants who might be paying for utilities or you're kind of splitting it up between uh, units. So, so is it one system? Do you, do you pay for it as the, the property owner? What's the, the situation there? So typically electric, you're going to have a house meter that, you know, you're going to have to incorporate into your operating costs, mm -hmm. uh, meaning, and that's going to illuminate the hallways and shared spaces, your common areas. And I also, you know, incorporate the cost of cleaning your shared areas once a month or whatever. Um, but you have to get a utility plan from an engineer to before you can, you know, tap into that water main. So that's another cost that you typically don't have to. I don't think you have to do for a single family mm -hmm. electric. I don't do gas in my properties, so I'm not 100 percent sure there. But electric, you split your tenants will pay. You pay for the house meter for those shared areas. Um, and what you tell uh, water, you know, you can sub meter water, which I have heard of people doing. I do not. I just factor it into as part of the rental cost and I cover it because water is leanable in the city and I don't want to deal with, you know, an issue where a tenant is not paying. Um, Great. but other than that, you can kind of subdivide your, your, your utilities and sub meter as, as needed. Cool. And what about trash removal? Um, I imagine, you know, more, more tenants means more trash on the curb and stuff. Is there specific requirements from the city that you need to, to abide by with that? There are, but I'm not super familiar, so I don't want to speak yeah. to it. Um, yeah. But in my properties, no, this is multiple trash cans. Tenants no trash. They, they take it out. But I do send somebody in to clean, clean the areas. I think once you get into the larger properties, you're, you may be required to have an on-site uh, dumpster. Mm -hmm. I have not thankfully had to deal with that. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Gotcha. It might just make your, your life, more, you're doing more trash cleaning as the developer, right? Exactly. Um, exactly. 
Cool. All right. So the, the, I guess last couple of things I want to ask you about are here. And then uh, just reminding everybody that we have um, a Q and a at the end of our conversation. So probably in about five, 10 minutes, once I get through this, we'll, uh, we'll jump into the, whatever questions are coming up. I see we have the chat open. So there's a lot, a lot going on in there. Um, but we've also got some listener questions in the Q and a um, in just a few minutes here. So the next thing I kind of want to ask is, is where does uh, feasibility play into your decision? Like, how do you determine if you don't want to, or, or how do you determine whether or not you want to move forward with this multi-unit family conversion? I know we talked about debt coverage service ratio, um, but are, are there any other kind of uh, factors that, that from like an applicants or a loan application standpoint that you're like, oh, this is not going to be worth it? Absolutely. And I think you all have developed a great pro, pro forma that I use. And, you know, even when if I'm not using a, you know, using Jumpstart, I still use your pro forma because it is a great way to underwrite deals. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I want a home that has good bones for the most part, um, cause that, you know, once you get into more structural issues, you're going to be spending a lot more money. It's a lot more engineering. Um, but specifically, what specifically are you looking for, Derek? Yeah, no, I mean, I guess just, uh, are there any like neighborhood factors or like, if, oh. if, if there's something like you're looking on the block and you're like, oh, this, this block would not be able to accommodate this or, or these are all single family homes on this block. Why would I put them all, you know, something like that. I got you. I got you. So yeah. parking is a big thing. If there's no parking, uh, even if it's by right, you know, it's going to be a major turnoff for most of your tenants. Um, yeah. You want to be in a neighborhood where there are, are other multifamily properties. Um, if 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 you're looking to refinance and sell, which I mean, you're going to be doing something. If you're buying cash, then you know you're parking your cash in a property. It probably doesn't matter as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's important, kind of eval- evaluating your 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 area. I highly recommend to everybody I work with to, and this is a term I'm borrowing from you know somebody I watch on YouTube, but know your buy box, right? So figure out a few zip codes. Um, you know, I have my buy box and I want to be the best out there at evaluating every RM1 deal, CMX deal that comes up within my buy box so that I can shoot out an offer right away. Um, I know the cops. I know what it takes. I know the, the housing stock in that neighborhood. I know what it's going to take to kind of take it from point A to point Z. Um, and it doesn't hurt if there are other multis in that area because then – the neighbors are used to it, um, used to the traffic and whatnot that come with it. Um, okay. Yeah, and also, just sorry, just one more quick thing. Yeah, sure. Look at the city's uh, long-term plan that the planning department puts out. From that, you can kind of see where certain infrastructure dollars are going, where certain development is going to occur. Um, even if it's you know a ways out, it makes a ton of sense to kind of. Uh, build your development and kind of gear your development around what the city's doing because no one else outside of local government can kind of uh, deploy those infrastructure dollars and whatnot. Um, and you always want to be in, a, in the path of progression. So, Cool. All right. Well, uh, I, I have uh, another question here too, but I'm, I think they're gonna, going to be covered by the Q&As that we've gotten. So uh, cool with you. I think we just jump right into that. Works for me. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, before we move into that, RJ, thank you so much. You answered so many of our questions and, uh, and I, I bet people really found this useful. I bet people are, I bet there's two categories. There's probably a group of people who are like, oh, I can't wait to do my next multifamily. <laughs> and then there's another group that's like, oh, I'm never doing this. <laughs> so, so whichever category you're in, uh, I, I hope you learned something here from RJ and uh, we're going to learn a little bit more with these questions. 
Um, so the first one here comes from, uh, and, and you you uh, discussed this briefly earlier about zoning and variances. Uh, Sherry is wondering, what about zoning and variances has been a challenge for you? So um, I know you said it's a long, arduous process. Do you have any you know personal experience where you've gone for a zoning var or um, variance that you haven't gotten or anything like that? So I stay away from them. Uh, I typically do by right. I did consult on one of my good friends, Khaled Green, and he's gone through the process, I think a couple times now. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and, and just walking through, walking through the process with him, I would strongly consider getting a, 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 an attorney who's well-versed in zoning law, and it just helps to have them on your team. Um, and then, yeah, just be, be truthful and honest with the ZB, uh, not the ZBA, the, the community, right? Uh, I think most folks who are going through this program are well-intentioned. The goal is not to, to build some eyesore. Um, the goal is just to provide affordable housing. And I think if you stress that when going through the, the, the uh, community organization and, and, and stress to them that you're going to bring uh, you know, jobs through your development and, and affordable housing and, and increase home property values and that type of thing, um, I think that's huge. And I, what I've heard, put this in air quotes, is that if the community okays it, Typically, the ZBA, will, the city will follow. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's just a, a that's a huge thing. Um, um, just being transparent and, and really just detailing the value that you're going to bring to whatever community you're operating in. Okay, cool. And uh, our next question comes from Ine, and she was wondering what zoning categories allow conversion to multifamily by right. So, and and again, I encourage everybody, like you said, to do their own homework and look at the zoning code because you know things are always changing, and, and there might be overlays and such. But um, but from your knowledge, what what uh, classifications allow that by right uh, conversion? So all of the RM ones, um, which literally stands for residential multifamily, um, and if you kind of explore the zoning districts on the city, you'll you know you can pretty easily. Find them. Um, CMX2, which is a little trickier because... Yeah, so I, I wanted to ask, because that, that requires like a commercial um, aspect of the, the unit, right? Exactly. So you're supposed to have a storefront space that is um, commercial, like you said, like like a store. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the point of a commercial mixed use, which is CMX, uh, mm -hmm. that, that zoning category. But above that first floor commercial, you can build units based on whatever the zoning guide says. Gotcha. Uh, and CMX2 is just a very, very common designation that you'll find. And a lot of people won't touch them because they don't want to deal with the first floor mm -hmm. um, commercial, but you can get pretty creative with it and you can still, you know, then have your apartments above that. And then, yeah, somebody just put RTA1. That stands, my knowledge is that that stands for residential two-family attached, mm -hmm. a much less common designation but still one that you can do by right so okay cool yeah, yeah rm1 yep got it and uh the next question here comes from keith and he's wondering as a landlord how do you handle common area maintenance costs for your multis do you cover them or do you divide the cost across the units if you divide the costs do you build the actual or do you project and then reconcile project and then reconcile so if I'm underwriting a deal for a multi-family and there is common space and common space can simply be a hallway in the city of Philadelphia is going to be oftentimes be um, the front porch area is going to be common space and people are going to store stuff there. So two things, your, ba um, your backyard and like I said, whatever laundry room. So you want to be very detailed in your lease about what tenants can and cannot do in your 
common spaces, um, you know, because they're going to want to store certain things there and do certain things. Um, but in terms of common area upkeep and maintenance, factor it in, you know what I mean? Get a, a cleaning company on a, you know, monthly, bi-monthly schedule to kind of upkeep those areas. It's not going to be much. I mean, maybe $75 a month, if that, or if you're doing it every two months, three months, spread it across that. But um, definitely factor it in um, on the front end versus trying to, you know, uh, incorporate it later on, my personal opinion. Okay, cool. So I'll, I'll move on with the Q&A in a second, but there's a couple things in chat I just wanted to point out. The first is uh, Daryl was uh, asking what the name of your contact info or what's your name of your construction company and contact info. So uh, if you want to type that in chat so people have it and can, can refer to you, um, feel free to do that. Uh, I'm not that the, the most tech sad. <laughs> no worries. And I can also write the name of it and stuff too uh, in a follow-up email or something with your, your uh, email or however you prefer people to connect with you. Probably Instagram. I'll put my Instagram. Okay. So. Cool. I think what you just sent only went to me, so I'm gonna type it again. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not great at it, Derek. Uh, <laughs> What's your what email do you uh, prefer people reach out, Rakeem or, or RJ? Yeah, RJ at simplyvestllc.com. Cool. All right, and um, let's move on to the Q and A here. Sorry, one second. The next question comes from Ugo. How's it going, Ugo? Um, have you ever split the water line? What way do you have any ways for to build tenants separately for water? So I think you said you just charge a or, or include that in your rent, right? I do. And Ugo, I don't know him personally, but he's doing big things. So shout out to him. But um, no. So I typically just factor it in. Um, whatever, uh, whatever, whatever. I'm typically seeing, you know, fifty dollars, thirty dollars per month. I'll just, I'll just put it into the rent um, as a fixed cost um, that, that they don't really know about, but um, it's covered by that. But I, like I said, I have heard of people submetering. I don't think it's a hard thing to do, um, but I've never, pers- I have no personal experience with it. So I don't want mm-hmm. to you know, dive down that rabbit hole too much. Okay. No problem. Uh, the next question comes from E. Johnson. They were wondering for a first time investor, what areas of the city should I consider for a multifamily unit? That's oh. a general question, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, it depends. It depends. I like being able to get to my multifamily projects because I'm GCing them pretty quickly. But um, common areas, you know, I'm going to give away all the secrets, I guess. <laughs> Everybody knows, right? So, Berry Avenue um, is rapidly developing, Strawberry Mansion, of course. And I'm giving areas that are not built out. If you have more money, then you can go to one of the more developed areas. Um, Temple Hospital, that's where I'm investing a lot, uh, a lot of arm on buildings that, that way. West Philadelphia, you pretty much can't miss at this point. Um, Germantown, love Germantown, live in the area, uh, Mount Airy. But, I mean, you can find a deal anywhere in the city, and cool. people need housing all over the city in every zip code. Yeah. So, yeah, like, that it, like you said, it might even be just this, you know, you might identify an area yourself where it looks like there's a need for it, right? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Cool. All right, and the next question here comes from Sterling, and they were wondering, is the RTA1 zoning code similar to RM1 when it comes to conversion? So I think we confirmed earlier that the RTA stands for two-family attached, right? Um, Correct. Do your own homework, but yeah, two-family attached. I've never purchased the RTA because they're not as common, but my understanding is that um, they work the same way RM1 or any other by-right uh, zoning code. 
Cool. And I saw uh, there's a comment here, a uh, chat from Ugo here. It says, West is horrible. Stay away. Same with <laughs> uh, Temple University Hospital is terrible, too. Stay away. Right. Yeah. It's, it, everything is the opposite of what RJ says. Don't pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, let's see. I think there's only one or two more questions here and then we uh, can wrap it up and, and close out tonight. But uh, Erica is wondering, and this is a, another great question. Have you ever done one of those open concept shared living spaces? Oh, I have so, um, Sorry, Derek. I, I, no, I see it a lot, especially in people who rent by the room. Um, cool idea, but for me, I'm, you know, I'm investing in lower income neighborhoods. So I really just want to, you know, keep it pretty basic. Um, it's easier architecturally. And in my mind, I'm a more of a doer than a creative person. So I keep it pretty basic. Bathroom, kitchen, bedrooms. But uh, great idea. But I haven't, no, I haven't done too much with it. Cool. And uh, the last question here, it looks like, unless I see any in the chat while we wrap up, is um, from Keith Brooks. And he was wondering if there is a RM1 zoned property that has 904 square footage of improvement area, is the quick reference guide saying that each unit must be a minimum of 360 square feet? Um, yes. so, uh, like a specific question, but does that sound right to you? It does. So essentially what he's asking is whatever it was, 900 square feet, the improvement area, which is your lot area. Um, so you need 360, right? Per dwelling unit for the first 1440. 360 times two is 720. Um, so you can build a duplex there, at least a duplex in a 900 square foot property. 720 plus 360, yeah. So you can do a duplex. Based on what he's saying, with that improvement area, you can, you can build a duplex by right if it's zoned RM1 and has that lot that improvement area square footage if that makes sense cool. all right yeah sounds good well that was all the questions i think in the q a um and i'm looking through the chat here and rj unless there's anything you want to bring up or that you saw um i, I think that's uh, about it for tonight anything else you want to discuss ugo said 360 on the lot size but not for the improvement area oh the improvement area is that okay so thank you ugo i think i confused that the improvement area, Ugo is saying, is the size of the property, not the lot. So base everything off of what I said, off of the lot area, not the improvement area. That's the, the gotcha. property. So gotcha. don't confuse the two. Sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Um, and thanks, Ugo, for the clarification. There's a lot of other great information people are sharing in the chat here. So um, I, th I think if we also, if we go, uh, if you view the recording, all the chat saves and everything too, so we should be good. Cool. Um, but yeah, RJ, thank you so, so much for, for joining us tonight. It was a uh, really great. And, and I think we covered pretty much everything we wanted to, awesome. uh, plus a lot more. And, uh, the, the recording of this will be available as well. So, uh, RJ, I'll get that to you and, uh, and send it out to everybody. So they have it. Um, but yeah, uh, Everyone, I, thank you, Derek. First and foremost, thank you, Angie. Um, Check out Jumpstart Germantown, Jumpstart Philly. They have a terrific product. It's community-oriented. I'm not just saying that because I'm on here today. I say this. Ask anybody I know. I'm very much a champion and proponent of what they're doing here and now, it looks like, in other cities. Uh, it's community-oriented. It's for us to help our communities improve. Uh, so big shout-out to, to you, Derek, and to Angie and, and your team and Ken and everyone else at Jumpstart um, doing great things. Interest rate is... You're not going to beat the interest rate. Typically, you don't have to make loan payments until the end of, till after your last draw, which is if you're a new investor without a ton of capital, that's huge. 
Um, do your homework. But and that concludes my conversation fan, with RJ Griffin, a Jumpstart borrower and contractor who is joining us to discuss multi-family making a difference. Getting rid of Blake, you know what I mean? Making the city a better place. The interviews on this program are recorded during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jump in Our series, which takes place via Zoom webinar on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. And if you'd like to participate in the live Q&A with our guests, be sure to head to jumpstartgermantown.com slash events and register for next week's Jump in Our. And if you're interested in starting a Jumpstart program in your own community, visit gojumpstart.org and see our how-to guide and open source training workbook. Thanks so much for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRJU 92.9 FM.